from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. It always is. My ringer's been off since 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would you have your ringer on ever? I mean, if I'm waiting for an emergency, mm-hmm. but are you like not going to look at your phone sometime in the next 25 to 45 minutes? Some people do not look at their phone every moment of every day. No. Yeah, so of good course. Good for them. That's great. <laughs> I would love to look at my phone less, but I also like if I was really trying, if I was really like, no, I'm going to put my phone down all day and I'm just going to have a day away from the phone. I might put my ringer on. But I would also hate that because I'd get like 19 spam calls Ugh, and true? who calls anyone, you know? That's very true. I will. I don't mind a phone call like like a lot of people do. But anyway, fresh. <laughs> fresh phone discourse. Mm-hmm. I will say I was very excited to get our first email. Oh, my God. Our very first listener email, you guys. To romance at iheartmedia.com. So exciting. So exciting. You know what that means? It's time for mail call. <laughs> Awesome. Wait, do you remember being a kid and like you got mail? Mail used to be really exciting. And now I have 780,000 unread messages in my inbox. Oh, yeah. I throw away everything that comes into our actual mailbox. <laughs> but this email, 
felt like old times. Yes, it was awesome. We were. I was so excited to get an email. I was like, Eli! And he had to run in from the other room. Yeah. And it's cool. This one is in reference to our um, episode about Aisha Ritta, Berliner Mauer, and the Berlin Wall. And it's from a listener named Arvid Gomez. Thank you, Arvid. We're so excited to hear from you. He says, I'm from the closest city to Leiden, Sundsvall, where Aisha Ritta lived. When I listened to that episode, I got a flashback to a friend of mine mentioning that his parents knew someone with a guillotine in their bedroom. Several dots got connected in my mind, and that anecdote suddenly started to make a lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's so cool that somebody knew Aisha Ritta, and we reached them. (laughs) That's so amazing to me. So thank you, Arvid, for reaching out. We're super excited to get that. And let us know if you do email us at romance at iheartmedia.com if you are cool with us reading your email out on the air and mentioning you by name because we'd love to do that to make you guys seem real (laughs) Um, (laughs) we're not just sending each other emails like you were great today Diana I thought you were very funny (laughs) thank you Mr. Smith (laughs) you know what else is exciting what else is exciting the Marvel Cinematic Universe (laughs) I think it's funny, right after we had an episode with our backdoor pilot about us talking about the MCU, we decided to do the Downies. Look, Robert Downey Jr. and Susan Downey are a lot more than the MCU. I mean, sure. And yes, that's going to come up. But no, this is not an episode about Iron Man. No. It's just an episode about, you know, Iron Man, (laughs) the man inside the iron. (laughs) Right. right. The man behind the iron. The man inside the Iron Man. Yeah. The man and the Iron Man. (laughs) (laughs) So we are here to talk about the Downies today. That's not a surprise if you read the title of the episode. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Hey, look, I love Robert Downey Jr. And I am learning to love Susan Downey, too. I didn't know much about her before this. I knew a little bit that she was a producer and that she helped revitalize his career. She is known in Hollywood circles as the woman who saved Robert Downey Jr. Because he was having a rough go of it. And I anyway, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. I have been since probably his, you know, early comeback. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Mm-hmm. That was one of the first. Oh, Scanner Darkly. Oh, uh, he's in Scanner Darkly. Oh, yeah, he's great in Scanner Darkly. Oh, I didn't Actually, know he's really fucking good in Scanner Darkly. Um, it's not perfect, but but the cast is great. I mean, you got Keanu and Winona and Robert Downey Jr. pretty much headed up. We got to watch it. Robert Downey Jr. is excellent and since then I just think he's a really cool guy I don't agree with everything he says but uh, you know we shouldn't worship anyone right to that degree right uh, you know take people uh, for what they are anyway we're gonna talk about Robert Downey Jr. we're gonna talk about Susan Downey uh, we're gonna talk about Robert Downey Jr.'s other relationships and uh, we're gonna learn some cool stuff what do you say I say let's do it <laughs> Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Robert Downey II, Jr., <laughs> as is the more traditional... Robert Downey II Jr. would be pretty funny, though. (laughs) He was born on April 4th, 1965. Shout out to all the, I don't know, Pisces. April 4th is actually Laura Kruger's birthday. Laura Kruger? Laura Kruger is one of my favorite people in the world. Laura, you share a birthday with Robert Downey Jr. I I believe it's an Aries. 
the ram. Let's call it an Aries. We don't know. Uh, <laughs> Astrology, yeah. <laughs> well, it was 1965, and he was born in the small town of New York City. That's also International Pillow Fight Day. Sorry. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. was born on International Pillow Fight Day <laughs> in 1965 in New York City. His father is Robert Downey, obviously. <laughs> Robert Downey Sr., some might say. Uh-huh. He was a director and an actor, is a director. I mean, well, he is still alive. He was a director. And this guy made movies in the 70s in New York City, a shoestring budget, absurdist movies. He and his wife, Elsie Ann, were super into the New York City counterculture absurdist movement of the 60s and 70s. Cool. Yeah, right? I mean, like, part of that's like, that must have been. (laughs) That is so cool. Awesome, right? (laughs) I would totally do it, although the more you learn about the counterculture scene of the 60s, it sort of gets a little grungy, like, real fast and kind of real fucked up. Yeah. So you're like, well... Maybe it's better as as a tourist destination (laughs) than as a real lifestyle. (laughs) Which actually brings us to kind of what happened because his parents were both drug users and, you know, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of drinking going on in that world too. Mm -hmm. And his mother sadly fell deep into drug addiction and alcoholism. And that actually disrupted their marriage, and they they separated in 1975 uh, when Robert Downey Jr. was 10. And, you know, he mostly stayed with his dad, from what I could tell. This definitely, like, was the culture he was in. I mean, his dad was shooting movies in their living room, and I'm sure there was a ton of artist types coming by and hanging out, probably having a great time, probably not a great environment for a kid. Robert says that his father let him try smoking weed when he was six years old. Dad. He later said he deeply regrets that. He he later figured out, I shouldn't have given my six-year-old marijuana. (laughs) Great. It's a good realization to come to. Right. He was like, I was reading so much William S. Burroughs at the time. (laughs) I I wasn't thinking. (laughs) My good buddy Samuel Beckett thought it was a good idea. But uh, his dad moved out to L.A. and Junior followed him out there. Uh, he went to Santa Monica High School. So, yeah, he was uh, hanging out in the hallways, I guess, with Sean Penn. Oh, yeah. Rob Lowe and Emilio Estevez. What a cool bunch of dudes. Wow. All the floppy hair of that era. Oh, man. All happening all at once. Yeah, he was sort of an honorary member of the Brat Pack. But, of course, that just meant more drugs and alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Just more access to all the worst things. Different high school experience than I had. Robert Downey Jr. had a different high school experience than I had <laughs> in at least one way. Yeah, well, unlike you, he dropped out in 1982 yeah. to pursue acting full-time. You weren't yeah. even born then. <laughs> no. Uh, He was in a movie called Firstborn, and that's where he met Sarah Jessica Parker, and the two of them started dating. And his father once said in an interview, thank God for Sarah Jessica Parker. Without her, Robert would go 100 miles an hour into a brick wall. That's, I feel like that um, puts a lot of pressure on Sarah Jessica Parker. (laughs) I was just about to say, this is a lot to put on a girlfriend now. Yeah. Like, without you, he would definitely drive himself into a wall. Yeah. Out of recklessness or whatever. And be like, oh, okay, well, I was just thinking of leaving, but I guess I won't. But, you know, he's he was working. I mean, he was functioning. 
Mm-hmm. And he was keeping it together. He got Weird Science in 85. Uh, it wasn't even his first movie, but it was definitely his first, I think, one of his first big movies. Yeah, and in 1987, he landed a movie called Less Than Zero. It's based on a Brett Easton Ellis novel, so probably a lot of murder and rape in it. I don't know. Yeah, that's that guy, the uh, American Psycho likes, guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. He loves that shit. I, I've read many of his novels, and they're always got some of that in there. Sure. And this part really changed his life in two ways. For one, the New York Times reviewed the film and said his performance was, quote, desperately moving. And so this was a really big push. It helped him get bigger roles in bigger films with bigger stars. Oh, yeah. Um, in subsequent years, he would join casts like Air America, which had Mel Gibson and Soap Dish with Sally Field and Kevin Klein and Whoopi Goldberg. So he's like working with the names of the day. This is the late 80s, right? So you can't do better than Kevin oh, yeah. Klein and Whoopi Goldberg, Sally Field and Mel Gibson. Uh, Kevin Klein alert. <laughs> Kevin Klein's one of the greatest actors of all time. Kevin Klein is Just awesome. need to throw that out there every time his name comes up. And it'll come up again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> So all this good stuff is happening career-wise, it yeah. seems. But Robert Downey Jr. gave an interview in 2003 where he kind of said this was sort of the beginning of his troubles. He said, until that movie, I took my drugs after work and on the weekends. Maybe I'd turn up hungover on set, but no more so than the stuntman. <laughs> I mean, it's Hollywood, baby. It's Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but he said this particular role was like the ghost of Christmas future. And the character that he was playing was an exaggerated version of himself. And then he said things change. And in some ways, I became an exaggeration of the character. So this snowball effect of I'm putting myself into the character and then the, and then I'm becoming it and then I'm surpassing it. So Sebastian Stan, watch yourself with this Tommy Lee. Yeah. I mean, it's not an uncommon story. I, I, I've, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you dive into a role and it can, it definitely can affect you. I mean, I could say that as oh, an sure. actor. I, I. I think that it's taken to some ridiculous extremes, oh, you know, in the definitely. Joaquin Phoenix, Daniel Day-Lewis kind of world. But yeah, when you, you embody a person for months and it can definitely affect you. I think it's most common with like on-screen romances or whatever when they, sure, they carry good... it out. You know what I mean? And then it doesn't last. Right. Because it's like you're conflating the character's feelings and, and you usually have some chemistry for it to work. Right. But I think that gets conflated very easily, and it's one of the easiest ways to lose your kind of be like blur that line. Especially, I guess. yeah. I mean, especially imagine if you're someone who's looking for that thing. Like if you're single, mm-hmm. and you're and you can never meet anybody because you're an actor and you work fourteen hour days for months at a time, and then it gets put right in front of you. We'll translate that over to someone who's already a drug addict, who's already an alcoholic. And now they're playing this part where this guy is just like constantly drugs and alcohol and really extreme person. Mm-hmm. That's just putting it right in front of you. And, uh, you know, and now he's thinking about drugs and alcohol all day like it's his job because it is his job. <laughs> mm, that's a good point. So like trigger after trigger. Oh, like- my God. Yeah. And it's getting into the 90s now. In 1990, this is when Robert Downey's mother actually went to go finally seek help for her addictions. And she would end up being sober for the rest of her life after this. But despite his mother's progress, Robert Downey Jr. is in a bad spot. And in 91, SJP broke up with him. <laughs> Goodbye. She cited his addictions. It was too much to handle. And just like we talked about, she said she really had to summon the courage to leave him. Yeah, she said, The biggest, hardest choices about those kinds of relationships are feeling brave enough to leave, even if you think they're going to die. 
You're afraid they're going to die if you aren't there to shore up their base every single solitary day. I'm sure this isn't like they've... I'm sure they've had conversations throughout the seven years they were together. Right, Of her being like, listen, you kind of are like really doing too much right now and I need you to do something mm-hmm. about about this. So I doubt very much that it was a surprise. She she got pushed to her limit. Yeah, later on, I mean, he said he couldn't even blame her. He said, I was so selfish. I had a drug problem and that's the furthest thing from what she is. Uh, she provided me with a home and understanding. She tried to help me. I was in love, but love clearly was not enough. Love cannot overcome all the worst behavior that you have it can't. Um, available to you. Yeah. So. I mean, you can love someone with all of your heart. And if you're still really difficult to be around and putting your own life in danger and other people's, that's, I could love you back just as much. But it's still, that's not enough to build a life with someone. Yeah, because you're not a partner. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can't rely on you. More often than not, I'm just taking care of you. Right. And some people don't want to dedicate their lives to taking care of someone else. They want it to be taken care of as well. Yeah. They want to have a back and forth. Right. But that, but like she said, you don't want to just ditch someone. Right. But, you know, how especially, much can you give? Yeah, right. I mean, especially if you have sympathy for an addiction. Right. You're like, I know that this has got kind of some claws in you. It's yeah. not like... You're this heinous piece of shit. Yeah. But I I think at some point you do have to decide. I'm not going to also be grabbed by this thing that's got you. Sometimes that's the best for them. Sometimes that doesn't matter. You just need to do what's right for you. You need to protect yourself. Yeah. I mean, we could on one hand, we could say, well, maybe Robert Downey Jr. wouldn't be here today if she didn't stay with him for those seven years. We can't know. That still doesn't make it her responsibility. Mm -hmm. And it's not something you ever want to put on someone. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, I mean, she clearly lived... A chunk of her life unhappy because she felt like she needed to because people were saying things like his dad if it weren't for you he'd be a dead man she's yeah. like how does that make her feel mm-hmm. okay great uh, well. not that's not a that's not a proud thing right you know? yeah can't wait for the wedding <laughs> yeah right that's a that's almost a threat and i'll tell you right now i don't know a lot about her but that's the sorriest i've ever felt for sarah jessica parker <laughs> well i i commend her she she gave him seven years she tried yeah you know? she did and she did okay Sorry. she turned out she's all right fine. yeah she's, she's doing okay great. so they break up robert downey jr carries on it's 1992 we're rocking we're rolling we're grunging cowabunga hell yeah we're uh smelling like teen spirit yes we are so Robert Downey Jr. meets this model actress singer named Deborah Falconer, and they dated for 42 days, six weeks, and then got married. I don't get it. Getting Look, married that quickly. I just don't, I don't know. He was living life in the fast lane. I guess she was too. Yeah. I mean, you know, she's a model actress singer in the early 90s hanging out with Robert Downey Jr. I doubt she was sober. <laughs> But man, talk about functioning. This guy was still doing all right. And he gets cast in Richard Attenborough's Chaplin as the titular role of Charlie Chaplin. He really dug in deep for this part. Downey's 27 at this point, And it's the first time he says he ever really prepared for a role, like really went deep on it. But yeah, he studied Chaplin's films for years. He read old reviews and historical texts about him. He learned Chaplin's British accent, which was kind of like a London Cockney like yeah. city. It's pretty hard to do accurately, to be yeah. honest. It's very yeah. easy to fuck up. He learned how to play the violin and how to play tennis left-handed. And right. in an LA Times interview, he said, I know that Charlie had a hand in this, that somehow he and I are connected. 
You don't do something like this where his spirit doesn't check in. Yeah, we watched it last mm-hmm. night, actually. Yeah, kind of, we, we As we were reading it. about this, just because we it's been on our list for a while. We always wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, he's, he is he, the highlight. Yes, he's very good. Yeah, You can tell he put a lot of work in. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Klein's in it. Kevin Klein alert. Kevin, Kevin Klein klaxon call. Kevin Klein klaxon call? What's a klaxon call? It's like a big siren. Oh. Anyway. anyway on we go about Chaplin. Chaplin, but fine. Watch it for his performance. Phenomenal performance. And he got an Oscar nomination for it. Mm-hmm. 1992 Academy Awards. He lost to Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman. Hua. Hua. You never saw Scent of a Woman? No. Hua. So now it's 1993. Things are going great. They got Oscar nomination on his back. He's got a movie coming up with Marissa Tomei called Only You. He's got a son. He and Deborah have a son named Indio. Indio Falconer Downey. Indio Falcon Falconer, by the way, is such a dope name. Yes, please. <laughs> we were back and forth a lot about if we were both going to be Banks or if Diana was going to keep Brown. Mm-hmm. Honestly, we both should have just changed it to something cool like Falconer. Falconer. Dope. Then comes Natural Born Killers. That was a big movie. True. And then in 95, uh, he gets put in this Richard III movie, but he's riding high in 95. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. And uh, he's literally being described at this point as the greatest actor of his generation. Mm-hmm. They're, they're talking up Robert Downey Jr. is the guy. Now, they, they do know that he is also the guy on drugs. The guy on drugs. <laughs> and they, but that was kind of, again, it's like, who cares? He's making good movies. We like him. You know, it's Hollywood, baby. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't getting arrested at that point. Well, until. 1996 when the bottom fell out. A Guardian interview from 2003 says that even by movie industry standards, his appetite for illegal substances was a mammoth, unquenchable, riotously insatiable. Ouch! That's saying something. (laughs) Between 87's Less Than Zero and 1996, Robert Downey Jr. had been in rehab three times to try kind of half-heartedly to clean up. But in 96, he got stopped for speeding and he was infamously arrested for having cocaine, heroin, and a 357 Magnum um, unloaded in the car with him. So, so he got arrested, but anyway, so he's out on bond. He's waiting for his court date, which is only a few weeks later. But on the day his charges are filed, the police get a call from a Malibu family several blocks away from Downey's home saying somebody broke into our house and they got an intruder in here. And when the police got there, they find Robert Downey Jr. passed out in a kid's bedroom. The kid's not there, by the way. Right, yeah. But I definitely had... immediately was like, oh, what? <laughs> but no. There no, was he no, just no walked into a bedroom. <laughs> yeah. He just walked into a bedroom and passed out. Yeah, it's like a Goldilocks, three bears situation. So it was the last straw for Deborah, who separated from him at this point. Again, citing his addictions. And they get into a legal battle over custody of Indio. And then we've got pretty much five years of that. Just one after another stint of arrests, bad headlines, just chaos. And in 97, in December, he was sent directly to jail from trial for six months, L.A. County Jail, for violating the conditions of his parole. He'd failed to show up for a drug test in September during a binge, which is the worst thing you can do, right? I mean... (laughs) <laughs> it's not the worst thing you can do. Uh, yeah. But it's a dumb thing. It's a bad thing. And it's pretty much bad news. The judge said, I'm going to incarcerate you in a way that's very unpleasant for you. I don't care who you are. What I care about is that there's a life to be saved 
from drugs. Yeah, these are dare days for sure. Yeah, very dare, dare days. Very dare. Yes. This is your light. This is your brain on drugs. Yep. And to his credit, Downey pretty much supplicated. I mean, he said, I have no excuses. I don't know why the severity and the fear of you, of death, of not being able to live a life free of drugs has not been enough to make me not continually relapse again. I really do need this. Even if I don't want to, I need to. And uh, he gave his supporters a smile and they took him away in handcuffs. Six months in jail. An L.A. County jail is not a cush spot. No, this was not like the movie star jail that you might think. This mm-hmm. is... Los Angeles County Jail, not even prison. Yeah, Mm. again in 1999, he missed a drug test and was arrested again. Again. He's not making great decisions, and he begged to be spared prison time in favor of completing this drug treatment program that he was attending while he was in custody for a month. He said he had recently summoned what he felt was the true resolve to stay sober, and he said the threats of imprisonment did nothing to quell his drug addiction, says the warnings, no matter how severe, were just interrupting my business. Which, I mean, that's an indictment in and of itself, like, of the system, right? To be like, look, I know me, mm-hmm. and all you're doing is getting in me's way of doing the drugs that me is gonna do. Right. It's right? just, a, you're just kicking the can down the road. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we've been learning, right, with addiction, is that yeah. it doesn't quite work to put people in jail for it. It's yeah. just not doing the job. I think that's the truth about a lot of things. A lot of the conversations are about the roots of a problem. You can't just treat bad behavior or punish bad behavior. You have to find out what the source of that behavior is and fix that problem. Yeah, his, uh, his lawyer even brought that up, Robert Shapiro. He said just what you're talking about. He said his addiction is a result of his upbringing. Look at his life and his parents and where he came from. Of course he's on drugs. And then he said imprisonment isn't gonna solve anything. He said drugs are as readily available inside the jail as they are outside the jail. So that's that's problem number one right there Mm -hmm. is you're not separating him from the problem. You're in fact, you're locking him in with it to a large degree. So Robert Shapiro had put together a crack team of lawyers. In fact, the same team of lawyers that had gotten O.J. Simpson acquitted of the murder he did. (laughs) But it wasn't enough. The judge had enough. Donnie says in an interview on uh, our friend Jason Sean and Will's podcast, Smartless, (laughs) that the judge threw the book, the gavel, his wig, and the bench at me. And Judge Mira, yeah, just said he was too much of a danger to himself and others. He was like, I can't keep giving you rehab. Because we've been trying that. He says, Is there any question that if this defendant continues to use drugs, we're going to be reading his name in an obituary? We tried rehab, and it simply hasn't worked. I mean, if you ask Robert Downey Jr. and today, and, you know, he's talked about this, he's he basically says, great, good, I'm glad they did that. I needed that. Mm-hmm. I think that he needed to be taken away from his success, probably. And from his enablers, there's a quote from a movie producer, Michael Mailer, back then, who says, oh, well, even if he was doing drugs again, it wouldn't deter me from hiring him. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the kind of system that makes it bad. Like, you're not doing him any favors by saying Mm -hmm. that, I think. I think that's a good time to step away for a minute, take a little break. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We haven't had one of those in a while. Very good idea. Yeah. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now wherever you're listening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And right now, Robert Downey Jr. is going to jail. Straight to prison. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. No. In LA, I think it's $200 million, right? <laughs> the taxes are crazy. <laughs> but yeah, he definitely, I think we did note you know, throughout this story that he's gone several times to rehab, showing he didn't really want to be a drug addict. Like you said, this was dare times. Drug Just abuse no. resistance education. Just say no. Just say no. And if and if you're doing drugs, you're a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Do you, you remember that? Oh my god. Suck. The flashback moment. Do you remember the movie you probably don't? It was called All Stars to the Rescue. Oh, man, this was always playing. Okay, in in my hometown of Dansville, there was a laundromat video store, and there was a little area for kids to sit in. They would frequently play this movie, All Stars to the Rescue, and it was a cartoon about this kid, uh, you know, like middle school kid, who was getting introduced to drugs. And all of his toys, which were like the Ninja Turtles, some Muppet Babies, fucking probably some G.I. Joes. I don't know, just all these hot cartoons, all these Saturday morning cartoons of the day all come to life. 
mm-hmm. and work together to try and get this kid off drugs. Wow. Right? And of course, all the people who already were on drugs were the bad kids, right? All the people like, who were already on drugs were watching this video going, whoa, they're alive, <laughs> man. Seriously. <laughs> My toys can talk, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so true. This was probably the like every drug user's favorite movie. Actually, now I want to get high and watch this movie. <laughs> Let's do it. It's our Friday night. <laughs> but the characters in the movie, like the kids that were on drugs, giving him drugs and stuff, they were just evil beyond redemption. These sure. are the bad kids. Yeah. And but they were like, we gotta, we gotta save him before it's too late. Right. You know, if he right. smokes that joint, it'll be too late. He'll be bad then we'll, too. Then Kermit's like, we'll have to kill him. Whoa, Kermit! <laughs> it's too late. We can't save him. Oh, Kermit. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> he has a good karate chop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so anyway, that was our flashback. So dare, exactly. So yeah, dare era. So I guess it was kind of novel to be saying like, hey, it's not the person who's using drugs. It's the drugs. It's the culture. It's the system they're in. Blah, 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 blah. Most people at the time, they just saw him as a rich, spoiled, overindulgent man who refused to get himself under control and get his life together. Uh, The Washington Post wrote, Even by the standards of the overindulged, overexposed celebrity community, Downey's self-destructive spiral has been notable in its resistance to rescue or punishment. Rude. So his buddies like Sean Penn... Uh, said, uh, his particular case concerns me a great... <laughs> doesn't sound anything like... Oh, my God. What happened to Sean Penn? <laughs> Is that my daughter in there? I just keep thinking of Mystic oh, River. Mystic River, yeah. Sean Penn says, his... <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> so Sean Penn says... I mean, I, here's my best Sean Penn. His, his particular case concerns me, concerns me a great deal. Concerns me? He's somebody I know personally and care about. I think he's a poster boy for the fact that prison doesn't cure addiction. I think Sean Penn is one of the weasels from the friend Roger I'm agreeing with Sean Penn here. I just don't have a way to voice him that's not pure mockery. <laughs> so he garnered a lot of sympathy from people that knew him. Hollywood kept hiring him. He never had a lack of supporters. So a year into his three-year sentence, he gets released on a $5,000 bond. It turned out there was a big legal technicality in his sentencing. And there was a three-judge panel that appealed the case, and they looked down at Robert Downey Jr., and they said, You keep up the good work, Robert Downey Jr. He wouldn't. Definitely not. In 2000, Downey got his big comeback role on Allie McBeal. Dancing baby. Yeah, lawyer sitcom, right? Wasn't it? And had some, like, I don't know, weird fantasy All things. Look, all you need to know about Adam McBeal is there was a dancing baby. Okay. That's all I'll... That's it. Yeah, it was a comeback both for, for Robert Downey Jr. and for Ally McBeal, the show. He got stellar reviews. Viewership jumped 11%. Um, but he did spend more time with his son, Indio. And he was helping sponsor other addicts mm-hmm. in, you know, I guess the NA or, or AA program or both. Um, he and Allie McBeal herself, Callista Flockhart, had a public fling for a little while. Uh-huh. Even though at the time he's still in divorce proceedings with Deborah. Oh. So it took him a lot longer to get divorced than it took him to get married. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> 
Uh, he got nominated for an Emmy. He won a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. And there was Oscar buzz for his turn in Wonder Boys. And then Mel Gibson cast him as, to play Hamlet in a live stage production that Mel was going to be directing. Mm-hmm. And he was also going to star in America's Sweethearts with Julie Roberts and Billy Crystal and also Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, wow. Um, Things seemed to really be turning around for him. And in public, he really seemed to have it together. But, unfortunately. Yeah, around Thanksgiving of the year 2000, that same year, he was hanging out in Palm Springs with his posse, a bunch of friends, and someone, an anonymous caller, called the police and said, hey, there's a room in this resort where you're going to find a bunch of cocaine. So the cops come in, they search the room. Before the cops get there, uh, allegedly a woman ran from the room. See you later. We don't know who she was. But they got in there, they found Valium pills, they found four grams of cocaine, and a sexy Wonder Woman costume. A sexy Wonder Woman costume in Iron Man's room. This is like the original crossover, I guess. (laughs) The crossover (laughs) we are all looking for. (laughs) It uh, didn't go well. He was arrested again. And later on, I mean, we talked about this Ally McBeal time as being sort of his big comeback. But later on, he said that was actually the worst point of his life in terms of addiction. He was written off of Ally McBeal. The play Hamlet was canceled. His part was recast with John Cusack in America's Sweethearts. Oh. And it was the final straw for Deborah, uh, Deborah Falconer, who they were still, I guess, still going through a whole bunch of divorce proceedings, but they had finally settled on a jo- on a custody, like a joint custody arrangement. Yeah. But she said, never, never mind, forget all that. Um, you're not allowed to see Indio until you've been clean for a while. I'm not going to let you see him while you're fucked up. Yeah. Um, he pleaded no contest to the charges and managed to avoid jail time because of that. Rob Lowe said... Yeah, give us your Rob Lowe. My Rob Lowe is just Parks and Rec Rob Lowe. That's, that's everyone's Rob Lowe, come on. Literally, the saddest part of this is what it will do the relationship between Robert and his son. Kids are really resilient, and there's a lot of years to figure out the relationship. But this certainly can't help. And that's the real tragedy of it all. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Gonna take a run. (laughs) I'm gonna take a 14-mile bike ride. See you later. (laughs) I feel like he's here. So, for whatever reason... This time it really seemed to work. He doesn't go to jail, but he goes into this rehab program, court-ordered, and kind of disappears for the better part of 2001, 2002. And then his his old friend, Mel Gibson, America's sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> Mel Gibson gave him his first job back on screen in this movie, The Singing Detective. But Mel Gibson had to personally underwrite Robert Downey Jr.'s insurance policy because the insurance company wouldn't do it. I get I mean, it. Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, who who out there at this point was saying, oh uh, yeah, no, this time he probably means it. You know? <laughs> and he was, yeah, that's he was considered a dangerous hire, really, and probably unbankable because he was also I mean what was he known for at this point yeah he got nominated for an Oscar 10 years earlier and but, made a bunch of trouble but since then, then yeah he's known for he's famously an addict he's famously a, a rich crackhead mm-hmm. uh, who's always getting arrested that's what people knew him for so no he wasn't a box office bankable star there are other Oscar winners yeah yeah it's Hollywood baby oh my god I'm gonna say that so many times <laughs> <laughs> so he had to take on the work himself. And 
Joel Silver, who's a producer. And if you don't know Joel Silver, you do. Because Joel Silver produced Die Hard and The Matrix and like just a shit ton of awesome action movies in the 90s and 2000s. And he was making this new movie with Halle Berry called Gothica. And Robert Downey wanted in. So he goes knocking on the door and Joel Silver is like, no, you're, you're too risky. I don't want to have to reshoot scenes after I fire you or you get arrested or whatever. But he pushed and pushed and pushed. And he was like, I really want this part. This is going to be good for me. I'm really sober. This is good. I've got it together now. I'm okay. I'm safe to hire. Joel Silver says, all right, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to come to Canada with me. We're going to sit down. We're going to have lunch with Halle Berry, who was starring in the movie, and uh, my assistant producer, Susan Levin. Susan Levin. Susan says in a Harper's Bazaar interview, I honestly didn't know anyone who had drug problems. She is the polar opposite of Robert Downey Jr. in every way, pretty much, from upbringing to everything else, every decision. Yeah. She was a cheerful, marathon-running valedictorian from the Chicago suburbs. She described herself as very structured with firm boundaries. She knew from a young age she wanted to work in the film industry, so she went to the University of Southern California to study filmmaking. Mm-hmm. She'd never so much as smoked a cigarette. She says a red wine now and then, but she was never one for parties. And without, I mean, you know, <laughs> without all these headlines of being arrested and having strange women in a hotel room and shit... <laughs> Susan's backstory is pretty short. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's not a lot to say to catch us up to now mm-hmm. with Susan. Yeah, she did work for Threshold Entertainment. She right. produced the original Mortal Kombat movies. Which is great and awful. Respectively. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. And then Mortal Kombat Annihilation is one of the single worst movies ever made. Sorry, Susan Levin. Sorry about it. I'm not even sorry. <laughs> if I worked on that movie, I wouldn't tell people. I bet people who worked on that movie don't tell people. <laughs> I don't have enough. Susan Levin's like, I thought I took that off my bio. <laughs> um, in 1999, she joined Silver Pictures, Joel Silver, obviously, right. and oversaw the development for 13 Ghosts and Swordfish, as well as Cradle to Grave and Ghost Ship. Susan busted her fucking ass to be a film producer, and now she is a film producer. Go, Susan. Right. She did the damn thing. Yeah, she didn't get to take the Robert Downey Jr. route of fucking snort your way through prison (laughs) until you're a star. (laughs) (laughs) But one day, Joel Silver says, hey, Susan, why don't you come help me produce this movie, Gothica? So she goes to lunch with Joel, Halle Berry, and Robert Downey Jr. And she knows... About Robert Downey Jr. I mean, everybody does. Right. It, it's national story. You could not yeah. know. You I couldn't mean, live in this country and not know about <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. You you know about Robert Downey. Yeah. Um, and they're all very nervous about hiring him. And she said at the time, also, she had zero interest in him. She was not interested in a bad boy. She had no inclination to save his tortured soul or any shit like that. She's <laughs> got no time for all that kind of mess. In fact, she said she's never one of those girls who thought a lot about getting married. Relationships were not a priority for her. She was professionally driven, and she found happiness in her career. Yeah. Which I I can totally see. She seems very type A, very goal-oriented person. Yeah, Ran a marathon. Why would you do that if you didn't want to achieve a goal? (laughs) But she said he was weird in in a type of way where you just couldn't ignore him. Oh, my God. You, You could not overlook him, even if you wanted to. They're sitting down at lunch at this 
Japanese restaurant in Montreal to talk about this movie and whether they're going to hire him. And everybody else orders Japanese food like you would at a Japanese restaurant. And Robert tells them, oh, oatmeal is the superfood. And he pulls out packets of oatmeal that he brought with him to have for lunch and just makes his own oatmeal at the table. And she said he's got this, he pulls out this box of all these various like herbs and spices and things. And then throughout lunch, he was doing yoga moves at the table. I mean, real weird actor shit, you know. No yoga at the table, Robert. <laughs> okay, that is a after dinner activity. And she says, yeah, I mean, he was interesting, but weird. And there was still a lot of apprehension about hiring him, obviously. I mean, again, what if he relapsed halfway through the production? What if they had scenes shot and they had to go back and redo the whole thing? What Worse yet, what if he died? I mean, that's an insurance liability, that's a production liability, that's also just bad news, bad press, bad in general. Also, you don't want a guy dying on your your dime. (laughs) But he really felt himself right now. He was really feeling like he was ready for a real comeback. And he told them, tell you what, withhold 40% of my salary for this movie. Hold that until we're done shooting. And then you pay me the rest if I get to the end. And I will. I'm sure it was more negotiative than that. But that was basically his personal gamble. He said, I'll make it. I'll make it to the end. I will do this movie. You'll be proud of me. It's going to be great. He really wanted this. And Joel Silver, Susan, they say, yeah, all right. All right. Let's do it. We're not going to get a better deal than that. So they started filming. Yeah. And there's no initial sparks, at least for Susan. She says, I thought he was brilliant, but it didn't go beyond that. I saw him like a professor or someone's older brother. (laughs) (laughs) She is nine years younger than him. Not a sexy thing to say, by the way. (laughs) But Robert Downey Jr. kept finding reasons to be near her, and they would work out together after the shoot most days. And after a few weeks of this, while they're on the treadmill one day, he turns to her and says, Levin, you want to go to dinner? And she said, eh, I could eat. (laughs) So they agreed to meet in the lobby for dinner, and she says, as he's walking down the stairs toward me, I remember looking up at him and suddenly thinking... Oh, he's really cute. (laughs) Their romance bloomed quickly. Um, Downey is pretty vague about his exact sobriety timeline, but he did tell the Hollywood Reporter reporter, that his exit strategy was in the works at the time he asked her out. Susan says her complete ignorance of what drug addiction was like was part of what allowed her to feel comfortable dating him. (laughs) She did not understand the hold it had on people. Right. And Robert Downey Jr. was like, thank God for that. If she knew the depths of my depravity, we would not be sitting here. <laughs> she didn't know what she was getting into. Yeah. And if she had. She wouldn't have gotten into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was still in divorce proceedings, still with Deborah Falconer at this point. I, I couldn't find, it's kind of unclear what their relationship was like at the time, but he was spending more time with his son, Indio. Within three months of dating, Robert proposed to Susan. And she said at that point she knew, yes, this is what I wanted. They both wanted this. It was a very serendipitous, magical thing from the way they describe it, that they just came together and immediately felt like, whoa, this is very right for both of us. She said on a condition, though, I'll marry you but not for two years. Mm-hmm. We're going to be engaged for two years, and he needed to stay sober that entire time. And she said, like we mentioned, that she didn't know a lot about addiction, and there's a lot of things in that two years that she became educated on, but she just wanted to make sure that he was staying the person that she knew, that he was building to sobriety, that he was clean, he was professional, but you know, was still a fun guy in the off hours. That's what she loved about him. And he, he, he was still working on it, right? 
Susan said that after Gothica wrapped, she saw this dark side of him, his Darth Vader, as he referred to it. And she told him right then and there, nope, this isn't going to work. She made it very clear, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this thing. I like that about Susan. She yeah. seems to be very like, listen, I'll, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Like, I feel like I, a certain kinship with Susan because right. I'd be like, even if I really loved someone, I would rather suffer without them than yeah. to deal with that. I yeah. think it would be, I just resent you so much for the amount of drama and bullshit they are dragging into my life. You know what I mean? Oh man. And imagine being, it's not even like, this is something you're just learning about this person. This is someone you know has been going through this for well over you know, like two decades at this point. Mm-hmm. You're like, this is not, this is not a fluke. If you fall back into it again, you're always going to fall back into it again. And I'm only going to give you this one chance to prove to me that you won't. Because two chances is three, is four, is five. And that's not true for everyone. And, you know, it wasn't true for him. By a certain point, he finally did. And you hope everyone does. But again, like we talked about with Sarah Jessica Parker, that doesn't make it your responsibility to wait and keep trying. Yeah. But fortunately, I guess that ultimatum did work for Robert this time. Because around July 4th, 2003... Robert's driving down the Pacific Coast Highway, so there's a nice breeze, probably some cool ocean views, and maybe it's dusk. I'm going to put it at dusk, so there's some lights, but I mean, it's just getting dark, there's a nice sunset, and I don't know, maybe he felt a sense of of possibility, sense of potential in the air for him. He thought, there's, you know how that is when you're driving down a really nice highway, and you're feeling good. Maybe you have some good music on. And you just kind of feel like you can do anything. I think he is kind of feeling that. And yes. he said, you know what? This is it. This is the time. And he pulled over at a Burger King. And he threw his drugs into the ocean. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> the fish don't appreciate. A couple weeks later, the fish that ate his crack was served at Spago. <laughs> And Tom Hanks had a tummy problem. Oh, no. <laughs> but, yes, yeah, so he did throw him in the ocean. You can feel your type of way about that. <laughs> but he was done for good. That was it. There was something about his relationship with Susan, maybe the stability, the comfort, the caring. But also, of course, let's not forget, he was in intensive therapy. Yep. He was doing meditation and martial arts. Yeah. I mean, he was he was doing a lot for his sobriety. It was not just Susan that changed him. So again, it's not just one person yeah. can force you into better behavior right. or a better life. You have to truly want it. You have to really work yeah. and try a lot of different things to get where you need to go um, with sobriety or with anything else. That's right. And he tattooed Susan's name on his shoulder. Yeah. It says Susie Q on his left shoulder. And with that Suzy Q tattoo, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we're back. Robert Downey Jr. is living it up with Susie Q. It's 2004, and his divorce from Deborah was finalized. Finally. Finally got a divorce. Deborah, um, for her part, haven't found a lot about her. She did go into music um, and had, I think, a, a reasonably successful music career. She was living with Beck's drummer for a while, and Indio lived with him for a while, too. So I think, I think that was her new um, boyfriend. I don't know whatever came of that, but uh, he seemed like a good guy. He was... He was rooting for Robert and Indio to, to have a good relationship. And Deborah, we know their divorce is finalized and that Robert was in a better place now and spending more time with Indio. So I'm assuming my speculation station is that they're getting along great. They're like the the end of the Santa Claus uh, where she's like, you know, yes, I'm probably like better to raise our son, but I'm glad that you're Santa Claus and we all know it now, and you know, you, you know, I'm glad you cleaned your shit up. Beck's drummer's like an Oscar Mayer weenie whistle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Judge Reinhold. <laughs> um, um. <laughs> we gotta gotta throw a Santa Claus reference in there. No, but I agree because he also is so like frank, at least now, about like obviously I'm not blaming anyone for leaving me. I was a nightmare. You know what I mean? Right. So I feel like 
yeah, I don't think he probably has a lot of hard feelings. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Hopefully she got over any that she may have had. Right. I mean, again, Hollywood was mostly on his side and rooting for him. Robert and Susan got to work together again on a movie called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, I love this movie. We got to watch it again because yeah, it's gotta, been too long. It, but, but I remember liking it. I remember <laughs> loving it. And it's him and Val Kilmer, who Susan also got brought in. They were considering for the movie casting Benicio Del Toro or Hugh Grant or even Johnny Knoxville at some point. But Susan was working on the film. She said, hey, you know, Robert could do this. And they said, actually, you know what? That's a good idea. Let's have him read for it. Hey, we like his audition. And nobody's paying Robert Downey Jr. to do anything. So the fact that this is a $15 million budget movie means we can afford him. (laughs) (laughs) Because he was not a high dollar actor at that point. He was was happy to get what he could get. Still kind of tanked yeah. career-wise, I guess. Yeah. Even though people did like him, like you're saying. They want him to, to yeah. do better, but yeah. he's definitely not a box office darling or he's, anything. He's climbing out of it. I would say in terms of the public, at this point, everyone was probably kind of waiting for it to happen again. Mm-hmm. You know, because he fooled me 16 times. <laughs> Shame on us. You know, Robert Downey Jr.'s back. Gothica. Okay, well, maybe. Kiss, mm-hmm. kiss, bang, bang. Okay, maybe he's really doing it this time. And so in 2005, they finally tied the knot. Big, huge, fancy ceremony in the Hamptons. Robert's favorite place to spend the summers. And his favorite singer, Sting, performed. Billy Joel performed. I mean, we've talked about our wedding, and it was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, but Sting did not come to it. He didn't, but honestly... Who invited him? It no wouldn't one? fit. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he turned us down. <laughs> That's true. We were like, dear Sting, you are not cordially invited <laughs> to our wedding because we know you're not coming and this makes us feel better. And then he would have showed up. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's us. the secret. We should have sent uh-huh. all kinds of people. No, like, you can't come. Sting, don't stand so close to me. Uh- Sting, I'm glad you're here, but I still haven't found what I was looking for. Sting, you don't have to put on the red light to come to our wedding. I don't know. I'm reaching here at this point, but... Point is, point. <laughs> I've been reaching for a long time. <laughs> Christine, Billy Joel reaching. is here too. We better take this wedding uptown, girl. No, Billy, Billy Joel came and they said, man, what are you doing here? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So big wedding. Great time. Big party. But they're both their careers start to take off after their wedding. And it kind of started to strain their relationship. Because mm. Robert went off to film Good Night and Good Luck. And Zodiac. And Susan went on to produce Jodie Foster's The Brave One and Hilary Swank's The Reaping. And they decided to enact a two-week rule so they would never go more than a fortnight without seeing each other. They tried to find ways to work together or they would just find weekends to meet up. And they didn't end up working together very often, but Robert and most of Hollywood actually (laughs) credits Susan with revitalizing his career. Meanwhile... I'm going to get into some deep trivia here that you guys might not know about. This is the real obscure yes, stuff. This is the deep cuts that you come to us for. Yeah, we spent a lot of time digging. And we heard about this little startup company called Walt Disney Pictures. And they'd been knocking around plans to do an adaptation of these little-known picture books called Marvel Comics, right? Wow. I know. It's so um, obscure. Yeah, I know. And we've, we've, we may never hear more about this, but in 2006... They picked up the rights to a property called Iron Man. Man. And they got this guy, John Favreau, to come in to direct it. John Favreau comes in and he says, look, I want a no name as Iron Man. Spider-Man, 
X-Men, these movies didn't coast off of star power, right? So as the production developed, John Favreau starts thinking differently. He starts thinking about Tony Stark. He's like, here you've got this very troubled guy with a, this dark history that he kind of has to grapple with and take on. Like he has to reconcile with the bad things that he's done. He has to make this comeback that seems impossible. Like, why would anyone want this guy to come back? He's taken a guy who was truly despicable at one point in his life and turning him into literally Earth's mightiest hero. And he thinks, you know what? Shit, this sounds like Robert Downey Jr. Right here, this this is the Robert Downey Jr. story. Trying to make amends for the bad things he's done in the past. Disney is like, whoa. You telling me. Disney, <laughs> Michael Eisner walks down there, he says, you telling me. <laughs> You want the America's crackhead <laughs> wow. on the poster for my comic book movie. You know, they are not having it. They're not going to put this in and out of prison tabloid star in the first movie of what, you know, th- no one knows what the MCU is going to be at this point, but they do plan to franchise it. They're like, I'm not putting Robert Downey fucking Jr. on the poster for this movie. Mm-hmm. That's not Disney. Be like making Post Malone into Prince Charming or something. <laughs> oh, no, I hope they don't hear that. I know, they, they probably might will do, do that. Oh, God. <laughs> A lot of stuff changed when they cast Robert <laughs> Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Favreau keeps pushing, right? Disney was not convinced yet, so Favreau arranged for a screen test with Downey, and the casting director, whose ser- name was Sarah Finn, says that on the day of the tests, Robert Downey Jr. is laughing, he's in great spirits, totally at ease, charming as fuck, and when he starts saying the lines, quote, it was magic. Everybody, John Favreau, Kevin Feige, they're all like, that's Iron Man, that's I'm looking at him. Iron He's Man's talking here. to me. We're saved. Iron Man's here. I mean, and I, come on, guys. The rest is history of Iron Man. Like, right. were they not absolutely correct in that decision? Mm-hmm. And I is mean, this even not- if you are a hater of Marvel movies, you have to admit they were very successful and they set out what they meant to do, <laughs> which was make a butt ton of money. Same year as 2008 that Iron Man comes out, we get Tropic Thunder, in which Robert Downey Jr. Uh, got an Oscar nomination, his second nomination, in a rather controversial role. If you are not familiar with Tropic Thunder, this was a film where Robert Downey Jr. was in blackface for the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> his character, the movie is about making a movie, mm-hmm. and his character is a very good actor in the line of like Daniel Day-Lewis, super yeah. method. Australian. And yeah, and his character in the movie within the movie is a black soldier. So he's yeah. in blackface for that movie that's within the movie. I hope I've made that as confusing as possible for you. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, you know, not not gone uncriticized. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're certainly not here to argue the merits of it. No. It, it, no. Uh, <laughs> no, we're not. Downey said in an interview in 2020 that, it, you know, when he first got brought the idea, Ben Stiller wrote this movie and stars in it. And when he first brought it to Robert Downey Jr., he said, I thought it was a terrible idea. You know, this is awful. But then he decided, well, what I'm doing is I get to hold up this insane self-involved hypocrisy that artists 
think they can get away with in movies. Like he's saying that that's kind of the point is like showing this pretentious actor thinking that it's okay for him to do this. He said he spoke to black audiences about the movie. They, they'd screened it for black audiences. It tested really well. He said 90% of them were like, dude, this is great. And he said, I can't disagree with the other 10%. He said, I think that it's never an excuse to just do something that's out of place and out of time. But to me, this blasted the cap on the issue. Sometimes you just got to go, yeah, I effed up. But he says, quote, Tropic Thunder is about how wrong blackface is, so I take exception. I totally hear what he's saying in a way because this is a period of time in comedy. As we know, we were doing comedy at this time, so right. it was a very shock comedy, was mm-hmm. really in. And I think that's what the kind of the thing was, was it's okay as long as I'm showing that this is a horrible person. Right, so it's like right. a person you're not supposed to admire or model yourself on or something. Yeah. But also I think it was sort of like at the time everybody had this very naive notion that nobody everybody already knows blackface is wrong so it's okay to laugh at it now and have these jokes and then it became very clear pretty quickly that no people don't know that that's not okay people are dressing up like that people are doing that and it's not cool and they're just, you know, I think that t- that takes the funny away from it. Yeah. That used to exist in 2008 uh-huh. eight when we had this, especially white comedians were like, oh, great. It's a post-racial society. We've got a black president. So now we can really make fun of racists by doing racist things because it's just funny to see how stupid they are with their yeah. dumb shit. And then yeah. you're like, uh oh, actually, people are totally saying that. Right. And it's not funny. And now we're like, wow, that's really fucked up and not funny because <laughs> yeah. people were totally like, oh, cool. Now I can just be like that. Yeah. So I think looking at it through that lens and with that analysis, mm-hmm. it's something. But I certainly also wouldn't begrudge anyone being offended by it because that, again, that's also an image that is representative oh, yeah. of a lot of harm. Oh, yeah. And uh, if someone saw that and said, I. I don't want to fucking see that ever again. Don't show that to me. Don't do that. Who are we to not immediately say, okay, I won't. Right. That's not hard. It's not hard to not do something. <laughs> we act like, you asked me not to do something. That's oh, that's my freedoms. Right. Like, I mean, especially- It's also very easy to just say, oh, okay, I won't. Done. Done. It's over. Moving on. So anyway, Done. blackface, not cool. We're we, not into it. <laughs> we solved the Tropic Thunder discussion. <laughs> the year Iron Man was released- Susan's working on Rock and Rolla in London for Guy Ritchie. And Guy Ritchie had just been hired by Warner Brothers to shoot his first big-budget action tentpole, Sherlock Holmes. And Robert came to visit Susan because, you know, they still had their two-week rule going on at this time. Uh So he comes out to visit her, and he heard about the movie, and he's like, Oh, I'd like to be in that. Let me get some of that Sherlock. I know, right? Let me get some of that Holmes. He, like, pops into Guy Ritchie's office with with a pipe and a magnifying glass. He's like, oh, nothing. I was just looking for my clues. I solved the mystery of who's going to play Sherlock Holmes in your movie. (laughs) And it's me, (laughs) Robert Dottie Jr. No, he did not do that. Susan, as usual, fucking handled this shit. So because Richie felt like Robert Downey Jr. was too old. Yeah. For the role. He originally had thought that Sherlock Holmes was going to be like a Batman Begins style origin story. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be Holmes is a young man. He's kind of on a learning curve. He's not the genius detective that we're all familiar with. Yeah. But Susan, you know, she knows what to do. Yeah. And so she gets to talking to him and she convinces him that Robert's the right choice. Because she said, when you read a description of Holmes, quirky, kind of nuts... It could be a description of Robert. <laughs> right. 
I will like to say that the best Sherlock Holmes ever committed to celluloid yep. is I the great mouse detective. Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of quirky and nuts, he was so cute. He was hilarious. He was crazy. I loved him. Anyway, tough- great it- mouse detective, underrated. So anyway, Susan definitely got her way. Gr- yep. Guy Ritchie was convinced. He cast Robert Downey Jr. And the movie cost $90 million to make. And it earned over $500 million at the box office. So with these three movies, with Iron Man, Tropic Thunder, and Sherlock Holmes, Robert Downey Jr. became one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood. That's outrageous. I mean, here's he a went guy from, who... Yeah, Ally McBeal. Years earlier, mere years, and it takes two to four years to make a movie. This guy was literally in prison and then relapsing, and then now he's fucking Robert Downey Jr. as we know him today. I mean, everybody loves him. Everybody wants more. I want more all the time. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. What a story. What a what a what a comeback story, a veritable Tony Stark level resurgence. <laughs> so Robert and Susan, they're doing great. Everything's going great, but their relationship is not this two-week rule thing is not working out for them. They're like this every two weeks of seeing you sucks. Yeah, for a day, whatever. And they decide it needs to be a no-week rule. And they will only work together from now on. So they formed a production company called Team Downey. And Guy Ritchie called them the perfect symbiotic marriage and that his relationship with Susan makes him a joy to work with. In fact, he said, Robert would be a pain in the ass if he didn't have Susan to police him. I think that's exactly how he sounds. I thought he was here. I know. Well, he just came in and then he walked out. Guy? Just to say that one thing. She did not exactly erase that Darth Vader side of him or anything like that. Right. But she did help him own it, I guess, and 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 control it and not act like a jerk. And Robert says, It's true. Behind every good man, there's an incredible woman. I owe a huge amount, if not all, of my success to Susan. Yeah. And he was a good fit for her, it must be said. Yeah. Because Susan also had good changes in her life once she was partnered up with Robert. She said she was too focused on work. She was rigid. She was totally focused on her career. She did not care much about personal relationships or having fun. And meeting Robert completely opened her up. She said, I had someone who came in as a tornado, this creative, beautiful ball of insane energy and passion. Um, Although she says there were times that she'll just be trying to get ready for bed and (laughs) Robert will have some sudden brainstorm and she'll be like, I can't take this right now. (laughs) It just needs a... (laughs) He's an off switch for him. She's like, go take a walk. So from then on, they are working together with uh, with Team Downey. They settle down into their they settle down into their thirteen million dollar house in Malibu, <laughs> if you can call that settling down. But uh, they have a son in 2012 named Exton Elias. Great name, if I do say it so myself. Mm-hmm. As a fellow Elias, I gotta say, uh, it works. And then in 2014, they have a daughter named Avri Roel. So Team Downey got together and they made this movie The Judge. I don't know. We didn't see it. It didn't get crazy good reviews or anything. I don't know how well it did. Not uh, not something that's still in the zeitgeist today. And then um, they did Doolittle, which I think might still be in the zeitgeist today as a terrible movie. I don't know. We didn't see it. Um, and I felt bad because it seemed like he was having a lot of fun. Um, and I'm glad they got to do something together, but it was not well received. But, however, they did also just produce the show Sweet Tooth on Netflix, which we have not yet watched, but I am hearing 
great things about it and I really want to watch it. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a win for Team Downey. What's funny is that he's Robert Downey Jr. said in an interview recently, I used to say if I ever ended up as a 40-something, remarried, marketable, big action movie dad living in a cozy cul-de-sac in suburban L.A., please just walk up and put two in the back of my head. <laughs> but now he says, I am that guy. So... Please don't, I guess. Right, presumably, goes without saying, yeah. please do not walk up and put two in the right. back of my head. I was kidding. I was wrong. This is great. <laughs> I, I thought love it would suck, life. but it's actually great. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, his first son, Indio Falconer Downey, has had a few run-ins with the law and some substance abuse issues. Um, Indio has been focused on his music, and Robert tried to stay as uninvolved in his career as possible because, as he says, Nepotism usually does more harm than good. But he does say, unfortunately, there's a genetic component to addiction, and Indio has likely inherited it. But he's fully committed to helping his son make a full recovery. Yeah. And we hope he does, too. We do. In 2014, Robert's mother, Elsie, passed away. And in a tribute on Facebook, he wrote about her just really intense and remarkable life and her struggle with drugs and alcohol and this amazing recovery she made. Remember, she went to rehab in 1990. He says she called him out of the blue in 2004 when he was in really bad shape. And he, quote, I admitted everything to her. I don't remember what she said, but I haven't drank or used since. So that turn for him, I think we can also credit to speaking to his mother, whatever that phone call was. Maybe, like you said, he'd seen, obviously, this life that she'd led and the struggles and challenges that she had through a lot of his early life and what it meant to finally get out of it and that it was possible to get out of that. Yeah, and I don't think that when when you're ready, it's any one thing that yeah. gets you there. Yeah. I think it's a culmination of lots of things. Yeah, but he called her his role model as an actor and as a woman who got sober and stayed that way. He says, my ambition, tenacity, loyalty, moods, grandiosity, occasional passive aggression, and my faith, that's all her, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. Two very important women in his life. For sure. For sure. And and gave us Robert Downey fucking Jr. Mm-hmm. And the MCU. I dare say, had this not all went down exactly the way it did, we might not have WandaVision. Mm-hmm. We might not have Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And it, it's, a, it's a wild story of drug addiction and overcoming that sobriety and things like that. Not something I, either of us has a ton of experience with. I do want to bring up that I'm amazed by this story. I think it's awesome and I think it's a great, I think he's a great role model for anyone who is going through substance abuse and looking to get out of it and this idea that it's never really too late uh, until it is and that the systems didn't work. What he needed was a wake-up call and therapy and support and other things to focus on like meditation, yoga, whatever worked for him. But We also can't separate that from the fact that he had access to all this shit. I mean, he literally, his job, like we said, directors didn't care. They were like, whatever, we'll hire him. But meanwhile, there's people who like just smoke weed and they can't keep their job at a fast food place. Like that's kind of outrageous, Mm -hmm. the, the discrepancy there. And so I think contextualizing this and saying that, yes, this is the route someone needs to go. It's not just for movie stars. Right. Like we need that kind of level of support for everyone and not just locking people up and saying, 
get better or else we'll lock you up again. Yeah. And the mercy shown to him is not uh, yeah. shown. But, yeah. but who was getting arrested and convicted for crack in the 90s? <sighs> yeah. It arguably was <laughs> introduced into minority communities specifically to disrupt them and yeah. fuck their whole shit up. So yeah. it's like, you know, he got a different treatment, certainly, yeah. than than a lot of people, the probably exact same judge saw for the exact same offense. Yeah. Yep. And I know that we had that one judge that was like, I don't care who you are, I'm throwing the book at you, or whatever, and that's nice, but I don't think he got quite the same, you know, they he had, a they, had they threw a different book. Yeah. They, I know he said he threw the wig at me and everything, but he didn't. I, right. I promise you, Robert, he did not throw the yeah. wig at you, because, first of all, we don't do that in America, that's a British <laughs> thing, but also, uh, <laughs> but also, you know, I think there were, that was, wasn't that around the time that they were starting to have um, mandatory minimum sentencing and stuff uh, like that probably. for drugs and I mean, that's the war on drugs was around that right. time, right? And so it was starting to be, you get 20 years, even if you have not, hardly anything on you. Right. We still have people languishing in prison today because of some drugs they did when they were children, I right. mean, essentially, or just dumb, and they're not given a chance to, to be rehabilitated, to come out and find their Susan Levin. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, just want to always point out the iniquities of the world. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, overall, happy that we have evolved the conversation about addiction to Indeed. some point, at some to something different Indeed. anyway. And I hear that Robert Downey Jr. also, on a personal note, you know, we're in Atlanta, so we've got a lot of friends that worked on some of the Marvel movies and things. And he's supposed to be super nice. From what I hear, he's a really, really open and kind person. He's very generous. Um, and he's, as I understand it, also putting that back into the world and his main focus right now is environmental technology trying to fix environmental issues global warming and climate change things like that through you know tony stark level tech like that's really what he's taken from this and i heard him say in an interview that's because he realized if he shows up at a tech conference people listen because he's iron man mm-hmm. And they know he's not. They're like, we know you're not really Tony Stark. You're an actor. But just connecting that in their brain is enough to make people take it seriously. So he's using that, you know, for good if he can. It's kind of like that movie um, early on in his career that made him more. Yeah. Like made him worse. Yeah. It's like this character influenced him in a good way. Yeah. Like to take on those aspects of that character right, that are right. like, I'm going to fund some technology that can fundamentally change the world and for the better. Great callback. Mm, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> no, no surprise here. We love well Iron Man, and so we love Robert Downey Jr. I wish him and Susan the best. Yeah, even I though think... we're probably not going to watch Doolittle. <laughs> no, we're not. But we'll watch Sweet Tooth. <laughs> yeah, and I hope they have better movies than Doolittle in the future for us to watch. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Uh, but why don't you let us know what you think? Yeah, this is our first kind of contemporary one, I think. That's isn't true. It? It's our first uh, one. I'm not yeah. not, not I mean, where the like, people are still alive, but it's very much uh, present day. Yeah, stuff. this is still there. This romance is still happening. It's mm-hmm. still going on. There's much to learn and much to see and do. We would love to hear what you think, because since yeah. we've done mostly historical stuff to up to now, please tell us if you like this kind of thing. If you want more of this or less, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, email us, romance at iheartmedia.com. Hit us up on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Oh Great, It's Eli. I'm at Diana Might Boom. And we're both 
at Redick Romance on both those platforms as well if you just want to hit the show up. We're so glad you all tuned in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're so glad to bring to you the gospel of, <laughs> of Iron Man. <laughs> and Susan, who's, uh, who's awesome too. Yeah, Susan's totally cool. Love yep. you, Susan. We don't want to keep you too long. We don't want to sit here in this hot bathroom for too long. Mm-hmm. So, Thanks for joining us for another episode. And yeah, we'll see you again soon. So long. So long, friends, it's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. (laughs) Ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.